<laughs> okay, welcome to another episode of Hobby Date in Canada. I'm back. Nurgle is no longer with me. I'm Yay! Although he might be coming in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about it later. Oh, I don't want Nurgle to come on me again. But you won't come, <laughs> come, come, come for everybody that's into fantasy. We'll talk about that when it happens, though, because we won't talk about unsubstantiated rumors. Like yeah. we just did. <laughs> well, not fully. Completely. So with me, as always, are... <laughs> Dan! Steve! And Mike! Uh, Ward is looking for a house today. So we can game at his place. He's looking, He told me he's specifically looking for a place that has a basement for a nerd dungeon, was what he used as a frame, as a phrase, and I'm, I'm good with that. A man cave. Man cave. Could we call it like a nerd hobbit hole? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of small. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might have to grow some hair in weird places to qualify as a hobbit, but... Uh. It's upsetting. It's truly upsetting. <laughs> I did just mean his feet, but it sounded gross. Yeah, it does sound really bad. Yeah. So anyways, Dan, what are you working on? <laughs> um, hobbits. Million little things, none of none of them being hobbits. Um, I don't know, just nothing in a heck of a lot of focus right now. Um, as always, I'm putzing away on a little bit of Raven Guard stuff, a little bit of Battletech stuff, getting prepped and ready for an airbrush party, and been doing some more like vector graphics stuff for the podcast. So yeah. Cool. Lots of weird, random things. Tom, what have you been up to? We haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah, well, so I got, got a... like three weeks to catch up with. Oh hell yeah! He was uh, here for like half an episode. That's right. That's before right. Before his brain exploded. Half yes, that's you. true. Well, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so I did up a bunch more stuff for my mercenaries because I played in Uncontrolled Fury nice. a few weeks back. How'd that go? Uh, it went pretty well. I went three and four. Okay. Uh, for my games. Um, and the at least two of the four games that I lost were. Because the terrain was so horribly one-sided. Sure, blame the terrain. No, 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 no. Like, seriously, <laughs> I played on a table where my half of the board had two or three rivers crossing the entire side, and oh. I'm playing as gators. Oh. So stuck on the wrong side oh. of a river against an amphibious army. Yeah, that's a problem. And there was a bridge, and immediately on the other side of the bridge there was two buildings. So his caster had the ability to place down some aquatic templates to be more water. So it was basically at the end of the bridge between the two buildings, and then he camped behind it. That seems a little. That seems a little so it was. It was a little one sided. That's just a bad draw, though. You played another army, and that table would have been okay. Maybe. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the, how it normally works is in in War Machine, if you choose to go first, your opponent gets to choose the table side, and with the tournament format as it was, you were on the one side. Like you just moved to the right after every game, regardless of how you did. So you don't get the option of choosing deployment zones. Yeah. So you like start you with your side. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. So oh, next year he's going to change that, and you're still going to just go to the right, but you'll have the option of switching sides for the duration of the game. Oh, I see. So you're still for the for the simplicity's sake, you'd be on the right side of the table. But you could whatever. switch to the opposite gotcha. side. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be fixed for next year. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of great people. I've been finding more and more. I'm seeing a lot more painted armies. And that's awesome. Lot. I do like to, I do like to hear that. That's and good. a lot. I'm enjoying a greater percentage of my games almost every new tournament that I go to for War Machine. Good, that's awesome, Like, the man. community is just getting better and better and better. That's wicked. Right so, so what have you actually been painting? So I painted up Yunus Kiazi. Cool. Uh, I painted up with the underboss. Uh, Bartolo Matador got painted up, uh, who's one of the war Is casters. he here to kill your father? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I painted up Rupert Carvolo. Uh, who does not have six fingers on his left hand. <laughs> <laughs> nice, okay. Uh, and then I've been doing a lot of commission work lately because I'm otherwise an unemployed bum who is painting models for money. That's not a bad way to be entirely. No, it's actually... don't burn out yet. No, I'm, it's actually... Problem. I'm doing really well because a lot Good. of the stuff I'm getting, it's either uh, low enough quality where I can churn it out really fast and just kind of went, like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And the other stuff is really high quality, so it's actually, yeah. and I'm getting paid accordingly. So I've been working on some Rezzer stuff for Malifaux, which has been a lot of fun. That's good, man. That's awesome. And getting a lot of experience with the new Malifaux plastics, which every new one I deal with, it just more thumbs are going up. That's good. Going um, up where? <laughs> that uh, like well, it could be going up all sorts of weird places. It's anywhere that you enjoy them to go. 
Really? All right, okay. Good. Like, yeah. it's, it's user-friendly, so I'm not going to force them anywhere you don't want them. That's good for considering you're doing commission painting for other people. I'm glad you don't force your thumbs on them. Uh, Mike, what are you what have you been working on? Uh, actually, I've been bouncing back and forth. I start painting something and then I'll switch to the other. I started playing uh, painting the UCM, then I started painting Sheltari, then I flipped to Resistance. You're not supposed to do that yet. Okay, I listened sorry, to that boy. podcast, <laughs> Mike. This was a week ago. This was like two weeks ago. You're already... Like, I'm glad you caught that because I had totally forgot. No, I listened to this earlier today. Maybe. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I remember calling that out last podcast. So Steve gets shamed for not painting a Sheltari, and Mike gets shamed for painting more models? Uh, let's go with... That's not really shame on Mike's part. Now I feel like kind of like a dick. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Thanks, uh, Steve. Yeah. All right. How's your painting going again? Uh, hey, you know what? They've been they've been base coded for a while. We were thinking of making a shaming sign that had our our owner hasn't painted us in two years, and he makes us go out and play He's, like this. Hasn't? Yeah, they've been painted for less than two years, I think. No, because it, it was December that you got them two years ago. Holy crap! <laughs> Yeah, it yeah, would have been. It is. That's a shaming Holy. sign, buddy. Okay, that's that's a shame. We could just start shaming each other on the Facebook page and just <laughs> yeah. like getting pictures of half-painted models and and then there'd be like hairy dicks beside them. And... I also don't go on Facebook, so this is probably working out in my favor right now. <laughs> well, no, it just means you get shamed that much more. I'll, right, I'll send you the picture personally. Uh, don't worry. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. That, that makes sense. Cool. So what else are you working on? Um, other than that, I've been putting together some of the Spartan scenic stuff. Uh, it's actually pretty cool. It's got a lot of detail. There's a lot of parts, but I gotta say the instructions blow. <laughs> it, they're horrible instructions, but um, I'm plugging along. Uh, they seem very durable, so it looks like it's gonna be good uh, scenery. For yeah, those course. are those are the laser cut MDF yep. buildings. Yes, with absolutely. the resin accessories. Yes, there's resin accessories and some those plastic look, stuff in too. Yeah, those so look those really good. That you picked up were those. Like those are the Spartan buildings? No, no, no. Those are end scale uh, buildings that I bought. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because <laughs> they look like modern days. Like they had like a Gucci sign on one of them, or like a fake. Oh yeah, yeah. Gucci There's sign. little signs and everything. I'm, I'm thinking of what show. company was that? Because you got you got some pictures of that. that was, that those was, are incredible. Those were at Kato Kato Railroad, I believe. Is is that a Japanese company? It is a Japanese company. They're all got Japanese writing on the buildings. So they look so we're good. We're invading Tokyo when we play Drop Zone at my place. They look, like they look incredible. <laughs> okay, so we're converting nice. up one of the Scourge HQ to be Godzilla, right? Okay, I'm, I'm yeah, getting into that, that. sure. Yeah, it's and gonna then, be a little bit get small for Godzilla though, because the buildings are just slightly out of scale. So it'd be like, no, you'd make him big. Because the best part is, is that one of the best abilities for that HQ is destroying buildings. Yeah, okay, I, I can see that as a conversion thing, but I'm just saying, like, Godzilla's supposed to be taller than those buildings. And, like, the Scourge one's, like, tall, but he's not Godzilla big. Well, we could make this work. But I think we could just get Godzilla, like, you know, the one of the toys in the scale. I've got one play. in my house. Done, let's do this. Okay. All right. And, yeah, those, uh, I got four of the really high buildings, but I also ordered five more of the mid-size one. They're about two inches smaller. In height, but they're about the same footprint, so... Yeah, they look sweet. That's going to be like nine buildings ready for... Done. That's basically a 6 by 4 table. Just about, yeah. I'm yeah. going to be greedy and want more, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can spice it up with a couple of card buildings in the corners and yeah. it won't matter. Yep. That's wicked. No, and then I can stop. steal it's them. going to be models. Oh, yeah. no, then I can steal them and play Battletech. Yeah. Win with all of my friends. You know I have... I'll I have, have, this, yeah, with I have that Kickstarter. Did you get the Kickstarter too for that? That's the Robotech, isn't it? Yeah. No, my stuff is no. No, way no, no, no. You don't get to sit. No, no, you're gonna steal my shit, man. <laughs> no, I want to play. Is that actually you got that final? What's that? Let's all yet. take one it's mech and play a six-hour game. Supposedly, maybe within the next month. I want to know if I hit your ammunition store and you're left PPC. PPCs don't have ammo. I don't know. That game is so <laughs> complex and ridiculous. <laughs> it makes War Machine look super simple. Yeah, because you have to put like ammo in like a foot. Yeah, you like can. You can put <laughs> systems anywhere. So. You can put heat sinks and ammo so and all kinds of shit everywhere. Gun on your arms and your ammo in your feet. So if you don't necessarily want ammo in your feet, because when they blow, <laughs> when your legs blow up, the damage flows into your center torso, and then you get your engine blown out. So it's bad. I was also gonna say, if you have ammo in your feet, you must have the best reload dance ever. Okay, so on the topic of epic failures, it is an amazing time in Canada because we're starting the but new I'm season. About what I've done. Okay, let's talk about hockey, but I, I've... Have I've you worked. painted anything? Yes, I've been working okay, on the wave serpent. Is it done? It's uh, all airbrushed. 
It was brand new. It was, wasn't one of the ones that I would have been working on and touching up. It was entirely a brand new uh, hull chassis. So it, so you, the thing that you got angry about was the fact that you've half-painted a Wave Serpent. Yeah, but I've spent a lot of time doing nice airbrush work on it. I like it a lot. It looks <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> Awesome. But anyways, epic failures. Yep. The Edmonton Oilers start their season. Uh, by the time this goes up, it'll have been a few days ago. But as of right now, it is in two days from today. Yep. And uh, I don't know. Uh, as much as I've been a little <laughs> Stockholm syndrome from them a little bit for the last eight years, I can't help but get really excited. Yeah, at the end of the day, they've made a lot of moves to the roster. There's a lot of, I think, room for optimism. I still don't know if there's going to be relevant hockey come, like, February, March, but... Oh, man, if there's relevant hockey come <laughs> January, I'm going to be happy. Last year, by December, we knew it was over. Yeah, when you start, like, 5-15-5, it's bad. <laughs> don't do not do that again. Hey, but. maybe maybe they'll be okay. You can always come back from that. 5-15-5, you can, you can make a swing the other way. Yeah, if you go, like, 75% for the rest of the season. If you trade your entire team away. <laughs> yeah, just that would be a, a place team. to start. It was but. really bad. But the, from how it's looking, a lot of our young core is actually aging, and they're kind of, they should be around the age where they should be. The young be. people are aging? Yeah. Well, no. Wow, but profound the, commentary. <laughs> I think we should try the players that were the... That were the rookies that we were banking yeah. on are now maturing and of age where they should actually be. And what he's trying to say players. is now they're now old enough to grow to grow playoff beards so that they might make it. Well, playoffs. no, maybe not yet. They, that that <laughs> still might not happen. Have you seen Nuge? Well, that's that's one guy. That's just Nuge. See, the rest of them, I'm sure, could have at least Sidney Crosby level shit beards. I'm also <laughs> that is a pretty bad beard. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's like the minimum. <laughs> I, I'm just jaded enough. I have a feeling that as soon as they start showing uh, decent potential as team players in the NHL, directly at other teams. Trade it away for money. Okay. On an entirely related side Peter note. Hocklington also doesn't own the team anymore. But That's he just true. got released from prison. He's, <laughs> he's going to be there on Friday when they're doing... There's a big to-do because it's the 30th anniversary of the, of first, the first Stanley Cup. Cup. Yeah. And yeah. Peter Pocklington's going to be there because he's no longer in jail. I wonder what his jail experience was like. Do you think he went to a regular person jail with all his money, or do you think he went to a nicer jail? Well, he didn't have any money by the end of it. Yeah, he was, true. Flat he was broke. pretty poor. Okay, well, so. on that note, uh, baseball playoffs are in full swing. Ba-dum-cha! Yeah, excited about that, not, but not Puig. Anyways, no one else here cares about that, so let's move on. Okay, so, uh, well, on the topic of things that no one else cares about, Steve, you want to tell us what's new and hey, exciting? Hey, there's someone else here that plays Dark Eldar. What? <laughs> no. Oh, wait. Wait. Yeah, okay, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, Dark Elder book came out this weekend. Um, it was met with mixed reviews on the internet. Uh, it, I'll give you a spoiler. If you play a witch army, you, you play something play else. Uh, there's some ways to make witches work, but as a core force, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, all in all, though, I have to say, I'm really happy with the book. I had a pretty eclectic Dark Eldar uh, army with grotesques and chronoses and stuff like that and all sorts of weird, not your Venom Spam, Trueborn kind of list. I don't even own a squad of Trueborn, and now it's kind of like, oh, you can't just take four Trueborns with blasters. You have to take the full five. You can't give them Shard Carbines, that kind of thing, which I actually kind of like. I think it tones them down a little bit, makes them not such an auto-include. And they made other things awesome, like Scourge is my favorite model, I think, maybe in the whole range, is the Scourge. Yeah, the army is really all about the fast attack choices now. Oh, yeah, I know. They moved the biggest thing I've been clamoring about for ages. The only the only tournament I've ever won with my Dark Eldar is when they allowed you to take two... This was back in 6th, 5th, before allying, I think it was. And you had to... No, it was at the very beginning of 6th, and you had to ally, but you had to ally with 500 points of your own army down at uh, Tournament OP. Remember that one? I vaguely remember it not making sense. It made no sense. And I got to actually take basically the same army I'm going to be taking in 7th now, where I had to take my allies were two Razor Wings and a Squad or something and a Venom or whatever. And then the heavies were the Talos and Kronos. I can do that again because the Razor Wings moved into Fast. And I really like that playstyle of list. I'm just over the moon and my grotesques that I converted up lovingly are actually good. So I'm so excited. I know no one else here wants to talk about this anymore, so we're going to talk <laughs> about our... We'll play some games next week, and we'll give a better review of our thoughts on the Codex after we've actually got it, uh, seen it in action. Um, but my favorite unit in the book, because we've done this for all the other ones, is going to be the Grotesques. 
by a landslide. That's me. Mike, you have Dark Eldar? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I'm still disappointed about the witches. I don't want to talk about the witches. How many witches do you have? Uh, 30, I think. So same as me. Yeah, it's still pretty disappointing. <laughs> oh, yeah, you though. just finished those, Steve, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I finished 30. <laughs> like, literally, was... literally weeks ago. Weeks ago. Yeah. And then I played them for one tournament with Haywire Grenades, and then was like, oh, well, these will go on a shelf and never see the light of day again. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but, who uh, who needs grenades? For favorite model, I'm going to go with Scourges. I still love them. And now they're better, so... Well, now, yeah, now they can take four heavy weapons in a yep. squad and got cheaper. So they're basically the so same the, thing as before, but just more shooty. But the yeah. bomber looks really cool for looks. Yeah, it's pretty hot. Yeah, I like the, yeah. I like the glass cannon yeah. at the front, for sure. Uh, I kind of like the fact that Mandrakes, while not good, are less shitty than they used to be. That's the key word there, less <laughs> shitty. And the key is that I have the old metallic purple GW paint, so you can give them, yeah. like, you can give them true MC Hammer pants. Yeah. Oh. Like purple parachute pants. It'd be amazing. I actually do really like those models. They're some of my favorite in the range. They too. are really nice. I, uh, yeah. But the fact that they start with the shooting attack makes a big difference. Yep. Just Just for, you know, making them remotely viable. Like, if, if you, you love them, you can take them, and you're not necessarily cutting yourself. I was actually trying to, because I've always liked, I really liked them. I tried to once make a uh, Karaka Druk, who's no longer a character in the book, but he was the Mandrake special character in the old edition. Uh, I tried to make a Mandrake army because I thought it would be awesome. I put together a Mandrake list and decided this is the worst idea I've ever had. Looking at it, it was just god-awful. But now I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe Homunculus and some Mandrakes with Webway Portal, Deep Striking with Bale Blast? That could be okay. It has a use. It's not going to win you a game. But, (laughs) yeah. It's a very, very, very... Specific use where it might come in handy. Yeah, I was gonna say it'd be decent against a Tau army if you were gonna go against their Pathfinders, except for the fact that every Tau army on the face of the planet takes a five point interceptor upgrade, which will absolutely obliterate Mandrake. So maybe that's not the best thing. I don't know what other army. Like, so maybe if you play against that person that's just starting Tau and doesn't realize that that's an auto include, that would be a great unit. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Dan. What was your favorite unit? That, well, in a tangential sort of a way, my favorite new unit from the last few weeks is I really like that new Tau Riptide. Oh, You just the, talked uh, about Tau, the one with the plasma uh, flame. Yeah, the Il- Ilvarna or the whatever. XV-109. Yeah, so it's got the pla- the triple-barreled phase plasma fusils. Seriously? Sure. Uh, yeah. Something ridiculous like that. It has a <laughs> Strength 6 AP3 flamer, and if you fire it in all three barrels at once, it goes to Strength 6 AP2 gets hot, heavy 2. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and it's hmm. got a three-shot strength eight haywire. Uh, haywire. So you roll the strength eight shot, and then you roll for haywire. Yeah, I know. It's not so like it's... So it's really good yeah. at stripping hull points, and it can also penetrate. And if you um, use the Nova Reactor on it, it's three plus D3 shots. That's pretty awesome. So I would not be totally surprised if this thing gets nerfed down a little bit once the yeah. official rules These get These are printed. experimental rules. That's key to note. The other and thing about Forge it, though, World sometimes gets a little bit overzealous with experimental rules, and things do need to get toned down a little bit, but I think it's one of their cooler-looking guys. It and also can it's pretty fly rare. as a swooping monster's creature. Has hit and run. Yeah. And Initiative 2 hit and run. It's not that crazy. But it can also leave the table as a swooping monster's creature. Yeah, it just can just go into ongoing reserves whenever the fuck it wants. And then on top of that, just one little uh, thing as well. Uh, it has only four wounds, though. So really? It's got, it's got less wounds. I did wounds. not notice that. Yeah, it's not hmm. quite as, as amazing in terms of durability. But so it what do you like from much. this codex? I like the fact that I don't have to spend any money on it. Because I don't play Dark Elder. No, there's uh, there's definitely some pretty cool looking new models. I really even the characters. Uh, the characters, a lot of them have one little thing I don't like about them. I think the Succubus is probably the strongest of them all. I really like Succubus. I was she's say... she's dynamic. She's got lots of detail. I do think you could swap out the weapons with some uh, witch bits quite easily. Um, I I do like the um, the Archon except for the pose. I like the, the pose. I hate the face. The, the face, I don't think it'd be too hard to do a head swap. It apparently comes with multiple heads. Oh, cool. But the main thing for me is uh, the pose. Like, I don't think if you, if you wanted to put him on, like, a scenic base or whatever, the way he's kind of tiptoeing on top of a giant rock, yeah. it would be very awkward to try and transplant him onto a different base. His pose is very locked in. I love the detailing and the style of the model, but it would be a very difficult to convert. See, I like the model. I like the main body pose. I hate the crossed arms. Yeah, the crossed arms are weird. Yeah, I don't like that. I but think at, least, that... at least it doesn't have the Dark Elf Corsair sword foot. 
syndrome. Yeah, he does have that. Would be really bad. He does not have a sword for a foot. So but that's so good. you remember the <laughs> uh, the the uh, Eldar Codex from the previous edition, Dan, the one with the guy like standing on the front, sort of walking out of the the autark. Oh yeah, kind of what I'm talking about. He has the same pose except with his blades down, like the pistol and blade down. He looks very regal, very like kind of above the masses kind of thing going on. Yeah, I feel you. I think if you could convert the guy to have the same pose as that Eldar on the front of that codex, I think he'd be pretty awesome. He'd look kind of like looking down on the the slave races. A little yeah. more derisive. That's a very cool thought. And But yeah, like a lot of the little detailing on the model just really appeals to me. Like he's yeah. got the, the cracked um, soul stones or spirit yeah. stones or whatever. Yeah, that's really cool. So that's a cool touch. And um, the way they painted it as well, where he's got that stitched together skin cloak but includes, like, Tau skin patches. And <laughs> I think one of the homunculi has, like, an orc skin patch on his cloak and stuff. Neat little detail for them to throw in the different races. It's not just, like, Cadian skin. It's it's all the races. I oh, think yeah. that was really cool. Yeah, they mentioned that with the homunculus covens when they talk about Urien Rakarth and, like, some of the, the, the Hex coven where they make art by going full human centipede except with all the races <laughs> and stitching them together into various pleasing shapes of corpses. They're full creepy. That's Have you sweet. seen the show Hannibal at all? No. You should watch it for that exact reason. Oh, I don't know if I actually want to watch that. I like how <laughs> creepy these guys are. I don't want to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. But I saw yeah. Human Centipede and I'm done with stitching people together. Apparently they made a second one. Oh no, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And I've heard it's way worse. Yeah, it's six people instead of three. Even Derek wouldn't couldn't watch it. And that's saying something. Derek's oh. really, really weird. He loved the first one. I'm going to uh, never, ever watch that movie if that's okay with everyone around this table. That's the best decision you've made in a long time. <laughs> After a long string of terrible life choices. <laughs> ah, it hurts. All right, I'm going to give the book uh, on our puck scale four out of five. I really wish they left Vect in and didn't molest the witches. Yeah, fair enough. Anybody else want to give a review? I'm the only, I'm the only one that really has looked at it. Yeah, I can't honestly give it a review because I haven't gone through it that much. Well, from talking with you, Steve, and I I like to say this because this is actually pretty positive, they, Games Workshop has continued to put out a really high quality codex as far as how pretty it is. Mm-hmm. Like, super high quality photos in there, both for artwork and for models. Uh, there's Especially in this one, just like in the Wood Elf book, where there's lots of the really cheesy kind of mist and lighting effects photoshopped yeah, I like in. That. I like that a lot. I, I, I like it too, actually. It's... <laughs> As bad as it is, it's it's kind of cool, and it, it appeals to the 12-year-old nerd in me that... I gotta, sh- I gotta show you a picture. This doesn't work very well over podcast, but Tom, you're gonna like this one. I'm pretty sure I know exactly which one you're talking the about. The blue light? Yeah. The red light's pretty cool, but there's one with blue light that's just like, eh. <laughs> Anyways, so, uh, and from the sounds of it, it's pretty reasonable. I'll give it four without really questioning much. Ah. Yeah. I like that lighting. Sorry. It's somewhere in the middle of the Codex, if you have it at home. It's blue. Yeah, very, very thrilling coverage of the Dark, know, El- eh? Dark Elder Codex right now. Um, well, here's, hold on one <laughs> sec. Let me just put the picture up to the microphone. <laughs> can, you guys hear, can you guys hear the blue? Give us some of this. <laughs> if anybody out there has synesthesia, this might be working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well point. done, sir. So if we actually got Stevie Wonder to be one of our listeners, we could totally make this work. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Dan, what do you think of it? For if we want, have to give a hasty off-the-cuff rating, um, I don't know. It's it seems decent. A lot of their units obviously have flip-flopped in terms of power. I know that's upset a lot of people who own a million of like venoms or other certain things. But you can take but fifteen venoms. It's true. They're not as good, but you can take more of them. So yeah. that's cool. Um, I don't know. It seems like a like three and a half out of five sort of a thing. It didn't make everybody happy. The models look really good. The book looks really good. Not totally sold on the rules mechanics, but at least they have, like, the formations and the other cool stuff. They definitely got brought in line with the new edition. They don't have any war gear that doesn't function properly in the current rule set. Webway Portal's amazing. Sorry. Yeah, Webway Portal's deep striking with no scatters, kind of cool. Like, at the end of the day, I think there's, if you look hard enough, I think there's a lot of good things in there. It's not what people necessarily wanted out of the book. But it should be all right. It should do them fine for until they get the next book a million years from now. Yeah. Well, and frankly, as people that are still buying Games Workshop products, if they really were expecting Games Workshop to give them what they wanted, they would have left playing the games already. Oh, I don't know about that. The one thing I do... I, I, I know. I know. I know. I, I, the one thing I do see as potentially bringing my rating down is after I play in a few tournaments with this new book, being in the, the meta, I can see this becoming just toys for Eldar. 
webway portals to bring in all sorts of better Eldar units to, to do stuff. But that's really more of a function of the current edition and the yeah. Allies Matrix than it is of the book itself. Yeah, they took away the Baron spam in Eldar lists uh, just to replace it with webway portal spam. And I think is what it is. I think they shouldn't be Battle Brothers. They hate each other. The only time they ever fight together is when they're desperate allies. Weird that there's a category for that. That and they that could fit nicely it. into. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways. We should move on. We'll play a few games next week and uh, we'll report back because we'll also have the Homunculus Covens book. Ooh. Right on. So moving on to something that I'm really excited about. I got a freaking laser beam. You did, and just don't blind me, okay? Okay, <laughs> so what this is, is it is a Battle Geeks uh, line of sight laser. Uh, I got it from Discount Games Inc. Uh, it's normally about 60 bucks, and they were on sale. We got them to our door, shipped for about $43. And what it is, is it projects a straight line onto the table, so instead of using a laser pointer to kind of shoot through scenery to see whether or not you can actually draw that bit of line of sight, this works really well for expanding arcs, for seeing if, bottle, if models' bases will overlap something whilst they're moving. So a good analogy, since again we're on the podcast and not showing you what this actually does, is think of like a laser level for a carpentry. It's exactly it what it signs, is. It, it, sh- it shines a laser around the room in a perfectly straight line. The biggest difference is, is that it's about the size of a marker. Yeah, exactly. Like an average Sharpie is about this big. Yep. Um, so... When you are going from t- to tournaments, um, and this is really something more for t- for tournament play, because totally agree. Um, your casual game, you'll probably just be like, "Yeah, that's probably good." Um, yeah. Whereas in a tournament, it's really nice to be able to say, like, you click it on, you can draw the line, and you can just very quickly say yay or nay. Yeah, I think it makes sense for games with arcs uh, that have very obvious marked out arcs, like X Wing um, or Dystopian or those kind of things. I don't know how much I like it for 40k because it's really only vehicle arcs and vehicle arcs are so kind of weird. Yeah, the other thing this is really 40K. useful for is in games like War Machine and Malifaux when you have to declare a charge of the model and you have to do it in a straight line so you can't move at all Yeah, um, and you cannot move across bases like friendly or enemy models bases while you're moving. Oh, I like that. Makes sense. Yeah, there's no t- teleporting, right? Like you actually have to have an unobstructed straight line to fit your base through. So what you do is you start on your base, see your target's base, and then you'll more or less figure out what your melee range will you'll be. Wiggle, you'll wiggle your laser. Yeah, and then what there. you can do is take a proxy base and move it through whatever the gap would be and see if it goes along with the line, if it'll fit through, and if it'll actually finish where it needs to. And then you're making sure you're getting really clear, concise charges. Yeah, so, laughing at what? Yeah, it's just so funny. Just... Finishing where you need to, it just I don't know. I'm a I'm a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's so yeah. many things that can be ejaculation jokes out of basically yep. anything we say. Yep. Okay. So. Um, I actually think it's pretty cool for those games. I see it. Uh, 40k tried this with the little laser pointer thing in one of their editions, like the fifth or fourth, whatever the hell it was. Eh, it didn't really work back then, and I think the way the rules work for that game, it's not useful. But for fantasy, I see it being a big deal for charge arcs. Um, and I definitely see it being useful in, like, hardcore dystopian tournaments, if that's really a thing. Uh, anything where you've got a 45-degree arc where you want to extend, it's really useful. Yeah. Anything where you're having to be very careful in how you're moving models for charges. Because a lot of the times, even with a measure, or like a, a measuring tape, which is what I used to use, you move it out. If you're holding both ends, which is how most people do it, there's still is room for it to fluctuate a little bit one way or the other. Yeah, a little bit. And as well, like, you can much. get... When the laser line is also being drawn directly on the table, there's not really any room for interpretation there. Like, both players are seeing the exact same thing. The angle isn't nearly as relevant. It just takes that element of um, disagreement or possible disagreement out of the game. Like, the last game I played um, of X-Wing, it was also very similar, where I was down to my last ship, and um, there was a phantom that was kind of in a weird position and I was it was like just on the edge of being able to shoot at me and I was pretty sure it wasn't able to shoot me and it would have just been game over if it could so it would have been actually in that case would have been really freaking handy to have the laser pointer and just know 100% accurately whether or not it was going to be able to just end the game right then and there or you know the way we had it we just kind of because I had one ship left against four so we just let my little X-Wing have another go at it and killed like a TIE fighter before he blew up but, um, yeah, in cases like that where it can literally be, like, life or death in a tournament setting, it would be really nice to have no room for argument. Like, you can just, there's a 
tiny little thin line drawn on the board. Everyone can see it. You know, there's no room for argument there. Yeah. I still so, have always had the, if it's that close, I've never had a game where I haven't been able to four-plus it. Um, well, you can four-plus it in Exxon. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those dice. things where I, I really understand the argument where 40k doesn't need it, but a lot of these other games, what I've found is any tools that you can bring to the table, which will reduce uh, individual player bias... Yeah. On how actions are taken. Not only does it no, make it, it for sure. Not only does it make it where you have a situation where you know all of your movements are legal, so it reduces cheating. But no, as a result, you. a really neat side effect is sportsmanship goes up. I actually, I actually agree with you entirely. Arguments. It's the same reason why I use the uh, the uh, fantasy not fantasy flight, whoever makes it, the uh, Gale Force Nine tack template. Yep. Uh, for two inch coherency, because when you're looking at two inches, that front part of a tape measure always has the little like hook that never really tells you where one It's always off by about an eighth of a millimeter. It's always a little bit weird at the front of the tape measure. Or eighth of an inch, sorry. So I, having a tack template is nice for that, and also the one inch separation between models. Same reason. Yeah, It, it just it gets rid of that ambiguity. Just make things really clean, clear cut, and you know it reduces the opportunities for those unpleasant rules arguments or anything yeah. like that. So I think it's in no way necessary, but it's a nice little luxury to have in a tournament setting, for sure. And especially when you're dropping hundreds of dollars on miniatures, uh, whatever game you play, especially if you're playing Only hundreds of dollars. We're clearly not talking about Warhammer. Well, obviously. But dumb cha. Yeah. <laughs> um, for 40 bucks, I think it's it's definitely a luxury cost, <laughs> but it's not unreasonable. Yeah. Like dropping 40 bucks on something that'll enhance your gameplay. Okay, so now that we've talked about laser pointers at length, Yeah. Uh, what do you think of it, Mike? What would you give it for pucks? I'd give it a good, good four out of five because it is useful. It's like, like I said, in friendly, it may be not as big a thing, but for anything that's a little bit competitive, it's going to take away any doubt. It's going to clear up a lot of problems, so it is worth it in the long run. Okay, Tom. Uh, you know what? I'd give it a four and a half, um, just because even at forty bucks, uh, it's regularly sixty. So we got it on sale. Uh, it is a little expensive. Um, but it's still very affordable, and it does come with a rechargeable battery and a charger for it, so it's pretty handy. Um, but there's, as far as the product goes, it's sleek, it is easy to transport, easy to use. I don't know. I give it easily a four, four and a half out of five. Dan, the real question is, I need to inspect the knurling. On no, the... <laughs> just because I know what knurling is, I just wanted to. Not everyone's a machinist, Mike. I didn't it say it has, did I say it's knurled? So the tip can be adjusted to change the width of the beam. Well, that's, that's yeah. actually decent knurling. <laughs> yes, extreme. but uh, at the end of the day, regardless of me name-dropping a thing, something from shop class God like 20 it. years ago, it is, it is a cool product. I'm a little bit, I don't know, it's the price that puts me on edge. I would never pay on 60 edge. I never, I would it's never a good pay edge. $60. It's true. It's, it's a very good edge. I just would never pay $60 for something like that on sale. I could see it being a reasonable bargain, but uh, so, I don't know. So, I didn't catch a rating. What was rating? I'd say like three and a half. It'd be higher if it was cheaper. I'm going to go three because $40 is paint you could buy instead, or a brush. And that's what I like more than lasers. So, I think Only it's very... there was a way to paint by laser. <laughs> oh my god, I like this idea. <laughs> Print it. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, sure stage oh. three is profit. Exactly. I don't know how we're gonna we're gonna make the intermediary part work, where we don't just melt everything. There's three or four question marks in place. I think. I think yep. there's a few question marks in there, but if we could get painting by laser to be a thing, oh yeah, we're rich for sure. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, I'm gonna give it a three. I just I think for certain games, if you were very serious uh, dystopian or X-wing player, it might be worth it. For myself and the cost, eh. Yeah, and that's fair. So on the topic of painting. Let's finish up our series on metallics. Sure. I love gold. So we've already covered silver and steel. We've covered bronze and copper. So that leaves us with gold. Yep. You bet. Um, so just briefly, um, what paint ranges have you guys used for gold and what have you thought of them? Um, the ones that I've used for the most part are the Citadels, both the old out-of-print awesome paints as well as the newer good as long as they don't dry out on you paints, as well as uh, the P3. So those are the ones that I've used. I haven't actually picked up any of the Vallejo uh, Golds yet. They're on my shopping list, but um, I haven't picked any up. So, 
Yeah, I'm in the exact same boat. Uh, and based on my experience with uh, using the Vallejo Air Metallics, I'm really optimistic for how they will be, but I haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, well, I've, I think I've only used the old uh, Citadel paints. I've just got some of the new ones because I don't go through a lot of gold. It's... Uh, it is generally a color that, in a lot of schemes, it's just for trim, right? Like yeah, you're using it for just, just not. It's, oh, it's, it's like important. the hilt of a guy's sword or mm -hmm. his chest eagle or something. But you're not unless you're painting sanguinary guard. You're not necessarily doing a lot of uh, head to toe Still gold. Still painting mine red. Uh, <laughs> Steve painting red. Surprise. I know. Hey. And you chopped the nipples off, so you I know. Did kudos. chop the nipples off. Was <laughs> it intentionally or was that a fluke? No, I'm intentionally. They don't have bat nipples anymore because that is ridiculous. Um, yeah, they don't need Val Kilmer enhanced <laughs> physiques. Oh my god, that was... Uh, anyways. <laughs> Everyone I've, needs Val Kilmer enhanced physique. I've used the GW Val range. Kilmer does too, seeing recent pictures of I'm him. I'm trying to get back on topic, damn it. I like talking about fat Especially Kiss stars. Kiss Bang Bang, where he plays the fat gay Perry. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is excellent, I don't even know what the hell you're talking... Oh, oh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Val fat Kilmer. Fat It is so good. Okay, Steve, leave and go watch it. No. <laughs> I will talk to you guys in an hour. <laughs> I'm assuming maybe two. <laughs> No, uh, I've used the GW paint range and uh, both old and new, and I've used uh, the well, I cannot think of it the Vallejo uh, paint range as well, but not the model air. Was it the model or the game? The game color. How were they? Bad. Um, <laughs> they're very okay. So we'll talk about that. I they were very thin, and they got really chunky really fast. That's like a bad hard. combination, actually. Like the thing is, is they would they, it was a lot like you know the the Necron compound. Yep. Like, imagine that, but not nearly as, like, plasticky, but that same sort of thing where it didn't really leave a lot of pigment, but it kind of dried a little too fast. It was just really weird. I did was not a fan. I used it on a commission uh, uh, Manoff model. Mm -hmm. uh, purple and gold were the colors, because, you know, Crown Royal, I guess. Um, it wasn't very good. Didn't like that. I've used, also used the P3 range. I, I per personally have painted a ton of gold trim, and I've never been happy with it. I find it probably one of the hardest colors for me to paint. Um, there's lots of colors that are nice and easy, and gold's not one of them for me. Okay. Well, no, no, I'm just going to say that is true. Like, with any color, some you're going to be really good at some colors, and there's going to be other colors that you always have problems with. Steve's is gold, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> gold is shit. So, <laughs> talking God, about simple... Try. Thanks, uh, Mike. No problem, buddy. If you're free. Do we have any tips for a simple gold? Like a beginner level... You see, that's the problem with gold. I don't think you can do a beginner one without it looking... Really it's too, really it's too harsh. I've seen a lot of beginners do uh, a gold color because they don't go dark enough. Um, and then they do almost up to mithril. And it just kind of looks a little bit harsh and weird. But I do think that's probably your best way to start with a beginner gold because you need to make it look gold. And at the end of the day, you can't just... It's not like a silver where you can do a basic dry brush bulk on metal and a little yeah. bit of a black ink and you're done. Because mm. gold, it doesn't get as dirty, doesn't get as tarnished like... It is something that is really hard to take shortcuts on without, you know, having to do all the layering, blending, washes, that sort of a thing. I think it's just a very tricky color to do to a basic level and have it look Well, decent. not only that, but even from a, a less trying to stay real with the paint standpoint, much like yellow, it just doesn't dry brush well. Yeah. Like the color sure. itself. They're in the, the same way tone that, range. Yeah. They just, however the pigment works in the paints, it just is yeah. not susceptible to dry Agreed. brushing. Yeah, it's something that I think you definitely need to paint using... Similar layering and blending techniques to um, like regular layer paints. If you want to get a comparable effect, it's there's just, it's just a lot harder to take shortcuts on it. That's all. Yeah. So then let's let's skip over beginner and just say if you're gonna do a beginner gold, maybe try bronze. Um, it's similar. Yeah. Try not painting gold. Try not painting gold. Maybe try something in a similar sort of metallic-ish color range. Yeah. Just do bronze, something a little darker. And if you leave a bronze for now and then go back a little bit later, once you're a little bit more confident with some techniques, you can do a little bit more blending and stuff, that bronze or brass will just serve as a base coat for your gold later. Yep, perfect. So that can definitely be done. But um, So if you're going to do an intermediate gold, how would you do that? I think I've had a lot of success doing a relatively simple one lately where, and you'll tell me if this is intermediate or advanced, but I start with Balthazar Gold, um, and then I will highlight it with Gehenna's Gold, which is their kind of medium gold from the GW range. Yeah, it's a little bit of a reddish-brown tinge to it. Probably a little bit more red than I would like, but yeah. uh, similar to the old Shining Gold. And then I do a thin brown glaze and a thin purple glaze, and then reapply the Gehenna's Gold, highlight that with Orc Gold, 
and then mix in a little bit of mithril silver for a final highlight. Yeah, that's probably advanced. <laughs> it's Just really like, not because I'm barely mixing any paints. You it's did only two glazes. You did five layers and glazes. I want to say that that's advanced, but for gold, I'm with you. That's getting probably. And in some ways, yeah. the nice thing about gold is if you're doing it in a lot of cases on trim and whatnot, like. Even if you're doing a lot of layers, because you're not doing a huge amount of it, it doesn't take super long. Yeah, I agree. I, and if it is something that's like a so real spot attention grabbing color, one you of the know, things it I wanted pays to, to pay that extra attention. Yeah, totally. One of the things I wanted to to mention is when you talked about the glazes, you did purple and brown, or yeah. brown first, purple second. Purple is what makes gold not look terrible in my mind. Yeah, I think that little extra bit of richness and contrast goes a long way. I actually use very similar where. I kind of skip a little bit of a step there. Sorry, where I, I tend also, to mix. I should say I stole a lot of that technique from Dan. So, <laughs> and, and a lot of mine was stolen from Jacob Nielsen back in the day too. So it kind of all comes full circle. That is definitely um, a source of inspiration for Tom and myself going back um, to you know some of the earlier days when we were learning how to paint. Uh, Jacob Nielsen was always you know one of those Golden Demon winners that we both tried to emulate. And that little bit of purple glaze in almost all of his colors was something that was a staple in his techniques, and it's really handy. I don't use it on everything, but it's for sure on metallics. Now, when I you like say it. glaze, one of the things you have to be careful with is it's not the GW glaze, like the GW ink. Fuck no. No, it's a very different <laughs> thing. Uh, do you want to uh, talk about what that glaze actually is? So we've done that before. Uh, have we? We've talked about glazing. Bit, but it's still not a bad idea to give a quick 30-second version of it. Yeah. So, Tom? Super watered-down inks. Yep. It's, you want it to, if it pools in the recesses, it is only because of the quantity that you have applied it on there. And if you're doing that, you're probably doing it slightly wrong. You're trying to just tint. Yeah, it's, yes. a, it's a and very, very subtle tinting of the color. You're not using it for shading. You're using it for a little bit of extra pop of color. That's all. Yeah, you probably want to put a little bit of glazing medium from like a company like Golden. They actually make a satin glazing medium just to break the surface tension because it is so much water. I've had a lot of success with the Vallejo glaze medium. Yeah, any glaze medium will do it. Yeah, they're basically. all basically the same thing. The nice thing about it is the same. It comes in a, a paint uh, tube like they or like the single paint droppers like they normally have. So it doesn't take up a lot of space on my table. Whereas I just poured some of the Golden stuff into an empty paint pot. So You're welcome. Because <laughs> uh, I have a I have a bottle of golden because it only comes in a certain size. Yeah, like eight like, ounces. It's or like something. an insane amount. So you will never use that yeah. much. Uh, Mike, now if you're gonna fast paint some gold, how would you do it? I don't fast paint gold anymore. I okay. mean, uh... <laughs> good to know. Good Could you do gold in as many steps as we described? Yes, or less, yeah, less or actually, fewer. Less. If I wanted to do less, I'm going to do brass scorpion. I think is the is the dark color I'm doing. Okay. And then it's the uh, lower. I what is it? A, it's not the burnished. It's the uh, shiny gold. I think I used no burnished. No shiny. And so shining is shiny. the Hennis gold. Yeah. Sorry, I, it's like I said. I'd see old paints. It's I hard use. to break those old habits. And then it's burnished, and then it's a mix of burnished and mithril, and then it's got a sepia gray. Uh, so you're, you're leaving the, the glazes out off the initial steps and just do, doing a sepia at the it's end. It's a last, yes. For, and it's okay. more it's a thin one, too. It's for tinting, mostly, right? Very cool. Okay, so if we go on to doing gold at an expert level, we'll call it, I have no idea even where to start. I've seen some of Darren Latham's stuff, and I just go, nope. But well, my a, lot guess of Darren Latham stuff, a lot of Darren Latham stuff is also insanely good non-metallic metal gold. But uh, his his he traditional metallics gold. his traditional metallics are also nuts. That guy is just straight up one of the best painters out there. But um, I don't know. It's it's obviously not to the same level. But um, when I was doing my dogs war back in the day, I was doing a lot of their armor, um, like their you know curious breastplate, whatever you want to call it, was gold. And uh, back when they had um, a lot more of the gold, well, I guess it's not necessarily they had more colors in the old range. They just had the versions of the colors that I liked. Yeah, <laughs> but um, at that point in time, it was they had a beaten copper, which was yep. sort of halfway between like a bronze and tin bits. Like it wasn't as dark; it was a little bit more red. Um, there is no current equivalent to beaten copper, unfortunately, in most of the paint ranges, which is a crying shame because I love that color. But Balthazar Gold will get you close. It'll get you close, and then you can get closer with washes. You'd probably want to darken it up with a. I would almost say Agrax it was quite a bit darker. I wouldn't use Agrax because I hate that. Is really, really dark, though. Yeah, it is very, very dark and dull. Where... You'd have to do a lot of washes of sepia. Yeah. No, I... no, you know what you do? This is my magic... Sorry, Dan. <laughs> uh, I know this is driving, but the magic combination I've come up with is you take P3 Armor Wash, and it's three drops of that to one small dab of 
Smoky Ink from Vallejo mixing in, and then you do to that would be like count that as one part total. Add another part of water and a drop of the glaze medium, and it gives you like the greatest dark brown (laughs) wash slash. You could use it as a glaze. That I've ever okay, so just be being aware here. We're trying to recreate a GW paint with like seven other paints. Two other paints involving wash steps too. Well, this is crazy. I would probably just use something along the lines of Gehenna's gold, and then like brown ink, or sorry, not brown ink, uh, the agrax mixed with like maybe a little bit of sepia and a little bit of purple. Just something generally to get it a little bit more richness and darkness. You're doing most of the layering over top of it. Okay. It's just to get it close. So now that you've laid down but, your base coat. But yeah, back <laughs> back in the day, it was back in the day was the beaten copper, which was then mixed up with um, one of the bronze, like um, what was it called? Dwarf bronze. Yep. And they, most companies now have a very similar uh, bronze color. So you'd layer up to that. And then I would go back and do a wash of chestnut ink mixed with purple, which would be like sepia mixed with purple. Yep. And then I would start blending back from the bronze up to the shining gold, up to the, you know, up to silver mix in from there. So it was, it was a very time intensive process. It was also one of the most fun parts of those models for me because I was doing that really blended layering gradient effect. And on those models, like that was the main source of pop. Like they had um, like a really dark red and like a really dull, like um, army green for their pants. So they have like very dull, boring colors and that huge splash of gold, especially in a mercenary army, where like they're all about the gold, right? Like they're mercenaries. So it was almost like they were wearing their paycheck everywhere they went. And it was for me, the gold was very much the highlight of the army. Like it was what brought everything together. So it was fun. It's a little bit tricky, obviously, when all those colors aren't made. But I think you could get close with, again, if you start with one of those um, brass colors and then... You're mixing a couple of like the brown sepia and purple, then your base coat again, and then I would probably skip the Gehenna's gold because it's just a little too red for my tastes. But I think mixing up to the auric armor and then from there to silver, then maybe doing again a couple of quick glazes of like a sepia mixed with a hint of purple, kind of tone it all back down a little bit, get a little bit more richness in the color. You could still do some really awesome blends for the gold. It's just a bit of a shame that again a lot of those pre-mixed colors don't exist anymore. And I think one of the really interesting things about gold, at least that I've found, is that if you're taking the time to do the steps uh, with the with the proper glazes and using the right colors, I've found of all the colors that I paint, it's the one that I can get away with painting the sloppiest as far as where my particular highlights are and where they're going. I uh, would disagree. I've never had gold where I've painted it where I would consider fast or sloppy where it has ever been something that I've been having. Sorry, like, when I'm saying sloppy, I mean... Typically, I've found with metallics, if I'm doing about eight layers, I don't have to be nearly as careful as if I'm doing eight layers on oh, a regular color. You know what I mean? Just because you're getting more more granularity on your actual edge highlights. Absolutely. Like, edge highlight number four of eight doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah, exactly. I, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, um, no, I get that. So long as... You're always doing some of the washes, and I think the crucial thing for a good-looking gold is going up to that mithril silver for the final highlights. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Most of my gold, the only stuff that I've ever done that I don't uh, dislike has been on some of the Tomb King stuff that I've done, and it's straight to mithril. And the only reason that I, like, for not mithril, like, heavy-edge highlights, like, they're very specific points that are, like, the hot points. Yeah, yeah, it's almost the, like those dots on it, yeah. dots of white on a gem. You can do the exactly. same thing with pure mithril on gold. That's exactly what I've done, mm-hmm. and uh, the only reason that I think it actually works well is it's a it's a full contrast with uh, uh, copper. Yeah, um, yeah. As we've mentioned before, the the copper with gold trim is a brilliant combo. They're in a very similar color palette, and they just naturally complement each other. My Wraith Knight's uh, um, scatter shield. Yeah. That one has that same effect going on. It yeah, actually got looks that, pretty good. You know, got uh, the brass with brassy coppery with a little bit of the patina on it, and then that brighter, more slightly more reddish gold for the accent. It's yep. it's an excellent little combo. It's it's something I try to work into models wherever possible. These work yeah. so well together. And it's honestly the one thing I did with my Iron Warriors back in the day was adding in the bronze because they had the gold and the silver already. So adding in that third metallic color that adds an entire new kind of depth to the yeah. range there made a world of difference. It's palette shift that's has a lot of help usually, yeah. especially with gold because it is it is effectively when you're looking at your 
Uh, I think we talked about color selection before, where you're looking at your three sort of colors you're going to pick for the army, and you want to basically put them so they're like making a, a peace symbol on your color wheel when you're trying to do that. Your gold you can substitute in for yellow, and yellow means that you can do some yep. pretty cool shifts. Yeah. So yeah, for nice sure. Color. The metallic, that's one of the reasons why I like doing metallics for a lot of these accent colors, is they can hit those same notes as an accent color without being as overpowering. Yeah. Because by simply by being metallic, it kind of takes some of that... Um, Oh, take some of that like unnecessary like comic book, yeah, color contrast out of it. Like it just brings them down to it looks earth. Looks like a, a real bit. material. Yeah, so I, I love with... using gold and silver and bronze and those colors as accents because they're not as overpowering, but they can still get you into the right end of the spectrum to get that effect that you're looking for. Totally. Yeah, and a lot of that can again be done through washes. So if you need a little bit more purple, if you need a little bit more red, if you need a little bit more orange. You can do the glazing in those directions to get the gold where it needs to be within the color palette. Yeah, remembering that you're always shifting off of a yellow base in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, you don't so want to stray too far, but like just don't that little put a subtle blue wash hint. on your gold because it's going to be weird. Yes, blue wash would be a little <laughs> little weird. I've seen some very, 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 very subtle turquoise glazes on gold look good before. But that's also because it's green and green shifts off yeah, yellow nice. Exactly. It, it does tie in a little bit more and also a little bit more similar to the copper verdigris. And yep. it's a subtle glaze instead yes. of a wash. Yeah, if it's a heavy wash, it's going to look <laughs> like crazy. Key phrase. <laughs> well, uh, I've, I have enough, to, I've said enough about gold. I, my biggest thing is if you can paint another color, do that. <laughs> but yeah, I like I like saving the gold for that exact reason. I like saving gold for like um, limited use on a model, like a little bit of trim, a little bit of pop, mm -hmm. so that you can still spend that the time to do all those extra layers, and it won't actually eat into your painting the time all that time much. I do gold on my Eldar. Other than very specific accent colors, is every single gem has a set that it's put into. Yeah, and I always ring those sets in gold. Yeah, that's very why. common. I do that a lot of the time too. But I do, and I always regret it, and wish I could have figured out a better way to do it. Anyways. But you can't now because your army's now you're much stuck. Down. Now they have to match. I know. It has to match. I know. Yep. Setting. Uh, <laughs> I guess maybe something worth briefly talking about. Uh, maybe is just mentioning non-metallic gold. <gasps> no, no okay. not not in this format. I don't like it. Non-metallic metal. No, no. Can I? Can I? Can I finish? No. Okay. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Okay. Yeah. Don't That's do just it. Brown. You're That's just acceptable. painting brown until you're really, really good. Yes. Yeah. It is. If your name is Dar Darren Latham, please continue. If it's not, just stop. Yeah. It is. There's a few people else that have done. No, it, I know, it. I know. But, but it's... generally, if you're if you're thinking, oh, I'm at an intermediate level, I'm ready for an advanced technique. <clears> it's not non-metallic metal. Advanced techniques as non-metallic metal is about like you're at wizard tier. Yep. Yeah. yeah. If you're really not doing... You're, you're motherfucking sorcerer at that point. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not doing just dozens of layers and glazes and juicing, and there's so much theory behind it, it's oh, yeah. so oh, much yeah, more difficult. You have to know your light theory. It's you so much to. more difficult than it's than you realize until you try it. I honestly think it is no one at this table soul crushing. could even get close to doing non-metallic metal that anyone would be happy with. No, no, I've never been happy with anything I've tried yet. I did it on one model once that I didn't totally hate, and it was about 25 layers of blended highlights on the silver and the gold. I did it once, and it was terrible. Like this is drugs. I did it once, and it was terrible. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I did it on my... Nurgle Army for Chaos, and it was like the crappiest non-metallic metal ever. Oh, it was just full-on bone. No, 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 no. For there was one part on all the Chaos Warriors where they had a little bit of chainmail, um, kind of right between the legs. Exactly. Oh, the, the gray dry brush on the chainmail. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't look terrible because there was no other metallics in the scheme, so it was just like it's just gray, and it was this tiny little part, and but you basically just made gray. Uh, totally, it wasn't non-metallic metal. No, <laughs> but. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's bad. It, it, in no way, shape, so, or form was non-metallic metal. Right behind you, since we're, we're in my basement, you can see my models. My salamanders, there's one sergeant who is somewhere in here, I think. Right there. Uh, so somewhere stage right for those listening yes. at home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull them out so that you guys can see them. <laughs> this is my best non-metallic metal, and it's terrible. It's absolutely god-awful. Sorry, but... This is terrible podcasting as a side note. Yes. Let's Steve. just again the point I'm take a picture of them. The quick and dirty point was that non-metallic non-metallic as a beginner, intermediate, advanced is impossible. If you're not a goddamn ninja, 
please don't. Wait, it what, is what were you so trying difficult. to do? The oh, helmet. The, the helmet? Oh, <laughs> uh, couldn't, I mean, yeah. He couldn't tell which part of the model was non-metallic gold. Yeah. Okay, so moving That's forward. That's a problem. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's bad. Okay. So, so this is this is actually, in my opinion, a pretty decently painted model. It looks great. That's not gold. Holy crap! I, like, I don't know. Well, I'm gonna take a picture of it, put it on the Facebook page, and you guys can tell me Holy how shit. bad it is. Suddenly, Gehenna's gold doesn't seem so bad, does it? No, I know. Now, here's the funny thing. This is a useful part of the segment because this means Steve is gonna post on Facebook. No, no, I'm gonna get one of you two to do it. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that finishes off our segment for metallic. So yep. moving forward, we'll cover a few other colors, um, like red, because I love it. Yeah, I think red. Uh, we'll have to cover <laughs> green at some point. Okay, I can get, get behind yeah, We already covered Do Vulcan metal, so we'll primaries. Do primaries. take care of green. We already so, did primer. Primary. Oh, primaries. Okay, so we'll start with the primaries, right. then work in through the circles from there? Yeah, yeah okay. okay. I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah, okay. Or we could just paint turquoise all the time. Yeah, that's I love painting turquoise as an amazing aside. If only there was a way to ever use it as not just a little accent color. But that's a whole other discussion. Yep. I saw some heavily weathered turquoise on a Dark Elder army. That like Sorry. Robin's egg blue, super oh white. Oh my yeah. god! I don't know how you paint it, but that shade of turquoise, heavily weathered and rusted, is just so good. Yeah, so good. I've and seen it one, finished. I've never seen anyone explain how. And the one time where there was like a similar kind of turquoise, uh, back <laughs> when Necrons came out uh, with their most recent book in sixth edition or end of fifth. Fifth. Uh, and they had the white dwarf explanation on how they did that color on all. That wasn't the same. No, in the least bit. I remember when you talked about this. We were like, that was not it. It was something like uh, regal blue and rotting flesh and space wolf gray. And it was like, no, no, that's too bright. It was just weird. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, they were probably using another miniature range's color. My and guess. just wouldn't yeah. admit it. Yep. Yeah, because yeah. they did that a lot. <laughs> oh, for sure they did. For um, sure they did. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a delightful little paint tangent. So I guess we can finish off the episode by talking about a few of the upcoming events. Um, and just to brush on it again, Onslaught, October 25th and 26th. You've heard the events. There's lots of different ones happening. And if you haven't signed up yet, talk to Ward as soon as humanly possible because a number of the systems are 40K and fantasy virtually are full or completely full. Some of them are cannibalizing spots from others. Yeah. So register as quick as humanly possible because slots are disappearing quickly. So I think uh, Ward, I'm going to speak for him since he's not here, so he can't defend himself, but I'm pretty sure he had, what was it, 24 fantasy and 24 40K? No, so it was 30 fantasy, 24 40K, and 16 War Machine with a few spots left over somewhere. And he was, he was cannibalizing from War machine but he will allow if war machine fills up to 16 he will it is at 16 it is at 16 yeah. okay so there's basically that's it it's done it's so full. open then still sign up for firestorm dystopian yeah there's a little bit of space remaining in most of the uh, smaller systems so by all means get your registration in or you will miss out on fun it's gonna be a busy hot haul yeah and <laughs> we will all be there we will all yep. be there yep and we'll probably do something special for the tournament i'll probably even wear pants I will not make that please, promise. Please do that. Please. You won't promise that Steve will wear pants? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify the terms and conditions here. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Uh, so there's Onslaught. What's the next one? Um, well, uh, there's the X-Wing event that Dan's got the details for. Um, yeah, yeah Trevor, Trevor is uh, <laughs> running a standard 100-point one-on-one dogfight. So this one will be um, Saturday, November 8th. Registration starts at 2.30. The actual event starts at 3 o'clock sharp. And uh, that will be at Mission Fun and Games in St. Albert. And I believe it is $12 in advance, 15 at the door. Will you have fun and games there? That is the mission. That is the goal. Cool. Oh. Wow. I also got an Lame invite. question deserves a lame answer. Oh, I'm sorry. God, you guys. And I'll... sorry, Trevor, now no one will go to your tournament. <laughs> <laughs> we ruined it. Okay, so there is also me, but another event happening in Calgary for War Machine. Uh, this is probably a little bit further than we maybe want to talk about, but December 6th, they're doing a steamroller at Myth Games, and this is of note because it's also a food bank drive. So oh. they will be doing kind of like the food machine format where you can trade canned goods and various other products for the food bank for cheats in-game. I like that. So it should actually be a lot of fun. So if you are in about Calgary, do it up. And if you're a bad war machine player, you can make up with it. By being a good two flats of soup, <laughs> yeah, I like it. No, absolutely, perfect. Sounds like my kind of game where I can cheat my way to the top. 
You might win. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's a that's a podcast. Unless anyone else has anything to add yep. in here. Uh, Dark Words are amazing. Ward's a terrible person. That's all I have to say. Who? Ward's a terrible person. I want to just yell that. more about the Dark Elder, but that's and a really next week. slow painter. Slow. Oh, do we know if he finished that one? In- no. no. Space Marine? It didn't. No, he didn't. No. It's I Ward. It. It's like I'm a sure. month late now for one Ward. Space Marine. Dude, I, no. I know. It's, it's, but it Dan, Dan is partly to blame for that. I heard that. I, I heard Let's, that was in the episode. Yeah, I should not send him links to painting articles that are even more complicated. He weathered a helmet on a stick. It isn't even on the model yet. It's not even an assembled Marine. And he weathered <laughs> the helmet. I haven't seen it yet. Was it at least good? In 60 years, it'll look really awesome, the whole army. <laughs> Like, that's the thing I don't understand. No, no, no. Because in 59 years, he'll oh, figure out something new and reprime them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the best part was this art, This article I sent him wasn't for weathering. It was for how to paint the glowing eyes. So, oh, that's what it was. He did some weathering around the bottom and then did the glowing eyes over again. But yeah. That's right. That's oh, right. So, I guess, so, so yes, yeah, so you, you guys keep reminding me it is my fault, and yes. I keep forgetting... Okay, yeah. he just... No, no, no. It's no longer Dan's <laughs> fault because it's been long enough that he should have finished one Space Marine. I don't... Yo, for sure. It's totally on board. I want to know, is he painting, like, every component completely separately? I don't know. Like, is... Because the head... He's painting individual heads. Once he's painted some components, we'll have an answer to that question. <sighs> for now, it's entirely theoretical. Because I, I get... I totally get painting the... You should paint your bolt guns off your Imperial Fist. They're black. You can paint those with primer and then yes. do white on the rest. That makes sense, but... Ward, you're killing me. That's all I want to say. <laughs> and on that note, that's been another episode of Hobby Night in Canada. Until next time, I'm Tom. I'm Dan. I'm Steve. And Mike. And paint your fucking models, Ward. <laughs>